Welcome to the latest Experts in the Field podcast from Foot Anstey's Farm, Estates and Rural Land team. With guest speakers and in-house experts, we'll provide insights and practical advice on rural developments and current affairs. Welcome to another episode of Experts in the Field, our regular podcast from the Farms, Estates and Rural Land team at Foot Anstey. Thank you again for joining us. This week we'll be discussing a very current topic in Cornwall, sites of special scientific interest, commonly referred to as SSSIs. A SSSI is a designation of an area of land that is of special scientific interest for its flora, geological or other features such as wetlands, rivers, meadows and peat box. Owners of SSSIs are restricted in what they can do to and on the land and must manage the land in a way so as not to cause damage to it. Today we're going to be discussing the impact of a SSSI on farmers and landowners. Most of course are very conscious of the need to ensure that the natural environment is conserved, enhanced and managed for their own benefit and for future generations as well. At the same time they have to manage complex and changing demands in terms of sustainable food production and the need to remain financially viable. Joining me today is my colleague Daniel Spaulding. Uh, and also with us is Edward Humber, NFU's County Advisor for Cornwall, and Hattie Severinson, uh, NFU's Environment and Land Use Advisor. Welcome, Ed and Hattie. Hi. Hi, thank you for having us. It's great to have you with us today to discuss this really important topic. We've obviously been working very closely with you and the, the NFU team in relation to Penworth Moors in Cornwall, which is an area which has recently been designated as a triple SI, and the NFU have been supporting farmers and members in that area. So Hattie, I thought we'd start by discussing what the aims are in Natural England designating new areas of land as a triple SI. Yeah, that's great. So a triple SI, as you said, is a formal conservation designation. So it's looking at things like rare species of animals and plants that are seen as environmentally important or scientifically important. And quite often they can be quite unique to the landscape that they're in and the reason they want to designate it is because they've done studies, Natural England that is, on the area and can see that the landscape or the habitat that they are living in, these species could be in unfavourable condition. And so the key aim is for them to put in place measures to protect these species within the designations. These are called features and they want to safeguard them to protect them for the present and future generations and ensure that those habitats can thrive. So for the Penwith Moors in Cornwall, they are trying to protect seven different features in the area. And these include the Dartford Warbler, Lowland Heathland, Lowland Fens, and four other features. But by doing this, the aim is to restrict activities on that landscape. So overall, it is to protect them. Danielle, it's worth us commenting that the designation of new areas of land as triple SI is done under some now fairly old legislation, the Wildlife and Countryside Act of 1981, obviously from a very different time to what landowners and farmers have to deal with these days. But what is the process for designating land as a triple SI? Yeah, yeah. So like you mentioned, the Wildlife and Countryside Act. So Natural England identify and they protect triple SIs in England and Wales under that act, which um, is a fairly outdated piece of legislation, which we'll talk about in a bit more detail as we go on today. But effectively, they select and notify an area as a new triple SI when they believe the land's wildlife, geology or landform is of special interest, like you and Hattie have both said. 
and they notify or designate is probably the correct terminology the land as a triple SI and what happens really is that triggers a process whereby Natural England write to landowners or those with an interest in the land and they tell them that they believe their land has special conservation value. There are certain requirements in terms of what that notification or letter must contain and it must explain the legal implications of the notification. So that should include the reasons for the designation, a statement of Natural England's views on management of the triple SI, a long list of operations which require Natural England's consent, a map, rather importantly, showing the triple SI, a land manager's legal responsibilities and how those affected can give their opinions or representations and how they can really object to the designation. So if you've got an interest in land and it's been designated as triple SI, once you've been notified, it triggers a requirement for land managers to apply to Natural England for consent to carry out certain activities. So they're pretty wide ranging. They include things like ploughing, feeding stock, spreading manure, pest control. So pretty routine day-to-day farming activities, really. Thanks, Daniel. I suppose it's also worth mentioning, obviously, before a new SSI is designated, Natural England will have spent a long time, many years in reality, surveying the site, monitoring wildlife, etc., before they get to that stage. So landowners and farmers will will know that uh, Natural England are considering an area because of those ongoing monitoring over quite a long period of time. Danielle, what's the effect of designating land as a triple SI to landowner and farmers? So there are many legal effects. I won't list all of them, so this is not kind of exhaustive list, but some of the key ones are that owners and occupiers, they must be giving Natural England notice before they carry out or cause or permit to be carried out any of the activities that are listed in that schedule of operations that you get with notification of the designation, which I mentioned. There's also a pretty strict legal requirement on owners of land included within a triple SI to notify Natural England within 28 days if the ownership or occupation of the land changes. So that's kind of important to keep in mind. And it's also an offence for any person intentionally or recklessly to destroy or damage the special features of a triple SI or to disturb any of the fauna, which I appreciate is probably quite alarming for many land managers when they realise that kind of legal implication. And I suppose one of the other effects is that designation of the land, it gives Natural England that ability to require management of the triple SI by way of management schemes and notices. So there are you know, a list of legal requirements in terms of notices, timescales, all of those kind of things that land managers really need to be aware of if their land is designated. Ed, I mean, obviously you've been working very closely with the wider NFU team in Cornwall supporting the members in relation to Penworth Moors. But thinking of that example and, and a wider application to other potential sites across the country, can you um, talk a little bit about what you think and what you've experienced farmers' main concerns are when they're faced with their land being designated as a triple SI? A key point here is that the farmer's well-being is never taken into account in this process. So the designations for some have come out of the blue, although there has been a, a collective data record from Natural England's perspective for many, many years, and it's been collated on their land. 
they have in the past taken part in other environmental schemes that they felt were working and therefore a designation wasn't coming their way. Taking West Penwith specifically, where some landowners have purchased land on the back of an agricultural output ability, and then that land now has a reclassification and ultimately will have a change. It will not be able to be so productive. Yes, they might be supported by a future environmental scheme, but at present that land has a different value. It also has huge implications for them for stocking rates for various activities they can do on the land, as Danielle stated. So it causes a lot of concern. I think the key point for us is where the farmers are meeting these type of designations, they need to come through to us as advisors, you know, as an NFU and as yourselves, you know, there is support there that can provide some clarity amongst the fog that comes out of this situation. One important point to emphasise, I think, is that the concept of Natural England imposing a triple SI is so alien these days to the way in which other government initiatives work. Rightly, the encouragement is about collaboration to achieve environmental targets, etc. It, it's such a different way of approaching things because Natural England ultimately, you know, that's the way the legislation is set up, they impose the designation on, on the landowners and farmers concerned, isn't it? So it's a very different way of thinking about these things for those impacted. For some, this land that's been designated has been their own private protection. (laughs) There's a farmer as an example down there in West Cornwall that for the last 50 years, nobody has entered this patch of land that's now been designated. And the designation does then provide an opportunity and a right for Natural England to manage that habitat. And they've been protecting it. Nobody's been going in it. They've just done it because they like to see a patch of environment left to be wild and to protect the birds and species that are in there. And the minute it starts being managed, it will change that. I think that feeds in as well into one of the issues that we see a lot is that some farmers don't understand the process and the information can be quite technical, legal. And it's about making the legal points a bit easier to understand and put into place. And that's perhaps a really big concern. And the other two things that I think have become quite apparent are that restriction on activities that I mentioned, that's a real concern. And also the social economic issues that it raises, which under the legislation, when you're making the representations on whether land should be designated as triple SI, they don't necessarily have to be taken into account by Natural England. There's a real focus on scientific evidence. And, and I think it's just people understanding that point. It's fairly difficult and it, it raises quite a lot of concern, I think. Yeah, on that point as well, what's quite unusual about this designation is that it covers areas of farmland that they're using, which other designations haven't. And it means that there's more restrictions on their day-to-day work rather than just areas of land that they have that they don't farm. This designation, because of the way the valley mires are, the rainfall from where they have their productive land can run off into those mires and therefore it's affecting a larger area, so affecting their direct business. And that's land that's been borrowed against. Some of these people have bought these farms recently and borrowed the money to buy that land and there's no compensation for it, which is also upsetting for those farmers. So the social economic aspect is that it's not taken into context that really does affect the local community. This question has been posed to us at least once by a one affected landowner, but if you're dealing with land which is taken for a national project, it can be subject to compulsory purchase orders, etc., and you get compensated in accordance with the value of the land. That's obviously causes lots of issues, and there can be lots of separate points there. 
but at least there is some mechanism for compensation here you can have land which at least the agricultural activities are severely restricted and there is no compensation for that significant change in use effectively now you said Ed, that people will have bought or invested in the land on the assumption of a certain degree of freedom in terms of what they can do in terms of farming activities and then looking further ahead it's the question around what's going to happen with planning on the outskirts of where the triple si has been designated because we've seen that in a lot of cases in triple si's across the southwest if they are within 10 kilometers of where a designation is they are limited on what they can do to diversify their business so that's another consideration that needs to be looked into i mean whilst obviously in this uh, podcast we've been referring to one particular example in cornwall there are other areas obviously that natural england are considering triple SIs as whilst it's not common there will be other places where these questions will come up and with that in mind um hat in ed very helpful perhaps if you just briefly discuss your thoughts on how government and obviously natural england if they were to continue in this sort of role how they could look to do things uh, differently in terms of protecting the land you know having regards to the same aims as the triple si but how they could do things differently and better and i referred earlier to the fact this legislation is very old that we're talking about here so how do you think things should be done differently in the future and what should government look to do to reform this system? Yeah, so as you said, we agree that the SSI consultation process and the designating is outdated. It is quite disengaged from the farmers and we think there are plenty of opportunities where there can be more of a joint up approach where people work together. We're actually in the current agricultural transition period where we're moving away from basic payment schemes and towards environmental land management schemes. So there is a lot of uncertainty around that, but there could be potential opportunities such as landscape recovery projects, which can help with some incentive to farmers. It can be more collaborative and they can be engaged. When you work with them, you're more likely to get a positive outcome. The problem with the triple SI is very much what you can and can't do, not so much about future development and how you can continue managing it together across the whole landscape. So I think the environmental land management schemes could have been a way forward as a different approach. And we've seen this in other areas. So in in Wiltshire, the work they did around the busted, we've got soil bunting, we've got other examples where a specific species has been protected by a collaboration of farmers coming together under a scheme. Now, yes, they may have been in pilot forms, but they've been very successful because the farmers have had a chance to be bought in. This situation feels that they were not consulted. It's been designated against them. And therefore, ultimately, you you feel not empowered to help take your farm forward in a way that can environmentally be a benefit to that area that's been protected, but also for your own business. So there is a lot to be gained by looking at this process where it's more collaborative and allowing farmers to sit in the room and lead the conversation because they know their land. And I I think no one's afraid of having a scientist sitting there to assist them, but they do want it to be appropriate. And this is a blanket rather than an individual farm assessment truly done in the last recent period. I think that, that makes a big difference. So collaboration is key. Elms could bring forward a pot of money, but at the moment there's nothing there to state that there would be. So that leads to interpretation and we're moving to a new world with agricultural transition and we should embrace it and take it forward but to do that the policy needs to be prepared to change to allow farmers to be included. I think it's important as well to make the process easy. What we've seen with this SSSI is 
it's so much extra work for the farmers and the landowners to gather all this information, scientific evidence, and that can bring a lot of anxiety and make people not want to continue doing their work if they've got added on extra restrictions on what they're doing. So it's about looking into things that they ask what works for farmers and what's the best approach just to avoid extra admin that farmers already don't need. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think there also needs to be a bit of an acknowledgement that land is multifunctional and there are trade-offs and there are tensions between nature recovery and other goals. That needs to be borne in mind and recognised because I think by addressing that multifunctional purpose of land, it will ease some of the tensions. And I think that goes back to your point, Hattie, about collaboration and working together. I think if there's consultation and there's early communication, then these things are a lot easier. Absolutely. I mean, just picking up on some of Ed's comments, um, the way in which Natural England and the legislation, so this is as they're required to do, they go through these long periods of surveying, etc. And they have a huge amount of time to do that. But when this actual process starts properly with the land being designated, the farmer and landowner has very, very little time, in fact, to gather information, consider it, respond. And without organisations like the NFU, they really would be in great difficulty to be able to put helpful, constructive comments in to Natural England after that designation. The legislation works really not to give landowners that proper opportunity. So without organisations like the NFU, it's a real struggle for landowners, I think. And I think on the legislation point, Edward, because of the timings under the legislation, sometimes farmers are looking at having to gain scientific evidence at really suboptimal times of the year. And I think that's something that definitely could be looked at in terms of legislation and and when notification happens, just so that, you know, everybody's got a fair shot of being able to put in scientific evidence that has got some weight behind it. If if Natural England have got reports going back over years and several different seasons and the farm and landowner then left with the depths of winter to gather their evidence, that presents an obvious difference in terms of the uh, information that can be put in. And it's also the time and the cost that is attached to that. It's not every day that farmers have scientific officers or people out who they can go to advisors. So they do need the support from ourselves, from the NFU, to be able to gather this information. And so the time period isn't long enough for them to do this. Absolutely. And it's about collaboration, as Ed said. Ed, your point about farmers and landowners have been quite happy to listen and take advice and consider the advice of scientists and experts in these fields but that's about collaboration and working together and that's a two-way street. Well, Ed Hattie thank you very much for your time today it's been really good uh, to chat again. Thank you Edward. Yeah thank you Edward and the team at Anstey. And thank you to everyone uh, joining us today we'll put Ed and Hattie's contact details in the notes so that if you're an NFU member or possible NFU member you can uh, easily contact them. And please do have a look at other episodes in the series and we look forward to you all joining us again soon. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next Experts in the Field episode from Footansty. Join us next time for more insights on important rural and agricultural issues. Find out more about our podcast series at our website, footansty.com. <laughs>